What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Grind Podcast, where we have the Whiz Kid, Seth Swerzik, the ballistician and ballistics engineer from Hornady. What's up, man? Oh, just getting back at it. We just released the uh, the six arc cartridge, so we're getting a lot of uh, a lot of feedback from that early on, and and uh, it's been good. That's awesome. So tell tell me about that. Do you think there's going to be many? For those that don't know, um, it's it's going to be a. a, a what should I say? It? Uh, a DOD caliber? Is that a, is that yeah, a right way well, to say that? Yep. So for this is kind of the first time that I'm aware of that a cartridge was adopted by uh, some entity of the DOD before the cartridge was commercially available. So uh, kind of did things in reverse there. Typically, there's a commercial cartridge available and then the DOD um, you know, might adopt it. But in this case, it was reverse. Um, yeah, it's a nice little cartridge. It's very, very versatile. That's probably where it's where a lot of its merits lie and is that you can do so many different things with it. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be a, a pretty darn par- popular cartridge. Um, just like anything, it's going to take a little time to build up some steam, but uh, I think we'll see that one be here for the long haul, especially since the DOD adopted it before it was commercially available. Um, it really can't go anywhere because of the contractual obligation, so it should be popular for a long time. Huh, congratulations on that. Um, Thank you. Is that going to mostly live on AR in the AR platform, or is, do you think there will be many bolt builds from that cartridge? I definitely think there will be bolt guns uh, available. Uh, it is a primarily going to be in the AR platform because that's what it was designed to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, from the bolt gun, though, there's there's smaller actions like the, the Howa uh, micro action, or Howa mini, rather, um, the Ruger American, things like that, that, that cater itself to being able to chamber you know practically anything mm-hmm. um yeah i think it'll be popular in a bolt gun um i have one uh on my match rifle setup um and i can duplicate 6br velocity okay. which is one of the 6br and some of those variants are, are are very popular in the precision rifle world no recoil uh, it's been great i'm going to build one nice and light and short and small on a bolt gun for my wife to hunt uh, hunt mule deer with oh, nice. uh, i'm going to shoot 90 grain gmx um, okay. So yeah, like I said, super versatile. Um, it would be uh, good I, for women or kids. Just yeah, that's exactly exactly right. My wife's five foot tall, so she needs you know a, a smaller rifle system in general. Um, I've got two sons um, that you know that eventually are going to be hunting and shooting, and uh, yeah, I think this cartridge fits that that category really well. That's awesome. Right on, man. Well, let's segue into, uh, you know, you, you mentioned killing mule deer there with uh, yeah. the, the new arc and the bolt in the bolt rifle. Let's talk about uh, what kills an animal and uh, a closing summary on this three part series, shall we? Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll, we'll be able to keep this one a little shorter than uh, than my long windedness took the last couple episodes. But the reason I wanted to bring up like what kills an animal is, is it's, you know, it's from the outside is kind of a morbid discussion, if you will, but I think it's beneficial uh, in, in, in any aspect when you're talking about something in depth is to, to really be very clear with what you're trying to achieve. And that helps with goal setting and fitness or in whatever you're doing in life. Like it, it helps to be very clear so that there, you know, you, there's no gray area in your mind and you can't lie to yourself. And, and it's just nice to have a better understanding. So in a, in a nutshell, uh, my coworker Jaden that I, I've referenced before in the previous episodes, uh, I, I, he he taught me kind of the foundation of this. 
um, and, and I really think this is, is valuable to understand and, and that what kills a, an animal, what kills a living thing is lack of oxygenated blood to the brain. Right. So there's, there's, we'll talk a lot about different things that, that people just assume are, you know, that animal's dead, but there are different kinds of death. And ultimately that animal is dead when its brain is dead and it's going to die because of lack of oxygenated blood. Um, and that is regardless of, of the mechanism that kills the animal, like where the bullet entered or, or, or the damage in the wound cavities that, that created. But what kills the animal is restricting oxygenated blood to the brain. So right. uh, that, that to be clear, that's what we're trying to achieve. And uh, uh, this is, I'm going to personify it a little bit. Obviously the, we're hunting animals. There's no hospital, you know, there's no right. EMT going to come to the scene of a shooting and, and try to bring these animals back to life. But to personify it a little bit, there are, are it's generally accepted. There are two kinds of death. There are, there's clinical death and what we call biological death or brain death. And the first, the clinical death, that is, is kind of the medical term for when uh, blood and breathing ceases. So when the, the circulation of blood and the operation of the lungs and breathing, which are two of the you know, main criteria to sustain the life, when those two things stop. So there's not heartbeat, there's no heartbeat, and you're not breathing, or the animal's not breathing. Um, that is clinically dead. Now, in, in I said I'm going to personify in the human world, you can be clinically dead, have no heartbeat, and not be breathing. And with the right medical attention, you can revive, you can revive someone from clinical death. Right. So um, the next step from that, uh, without any medical attention, is the biological death that typically occurs around five minutes after clinical death. So the brain is still alive for about five minutes of uh, no heartbeat and, and no lung function. Uh, at about that five minute mark might happen a little sooner in some cases, um, irreversible damage happens to the brain. Um, and that is the time that they are neurologically dead and that is impossible to reverse. Right. So uh, that brain is not getting any oxygen. Yep. Yep. It's not getting any oxygen. And, and that's, that's the goal. And so, um, you know, when you shoot an animal in the vitals, uh, you know, in the heart, lung, behind the shoulder shot, the death is not caused by the destruction of the organ itself. The death is caused because that, that organ um, and the associated, associated blood loss uh, and, and, and the blood loss at the point of the wound and also the blood loss and that it's not pumping now blood to the brain uh, and it can't reoxygenate if the, you know, if the heart and the lung aren't working. Um, that's what kills the animal. So like I said, I, I know that sounds a little morbid maybe to some people, but I like to be very specific on what we're trying to achieve. And so in this instance, we talked about in the previous episode about bullet performance and, and uh, people get caught up on energy and energy is just a number. And uh, what I wanted to tie these two things together in is that when you shoot a, a bullet into an animal, regardless of where it hits, um, we want that bullet to expand. Uh, and then you know, we can talk about wound cavities and expanding bullets. But what we want that bullet to do is be in a place so that it can restrict oxygenated blood flow to the brain. That's what we're trying to do. Um, another nice 
thing that we all like to see is when you hit an animal and they lights out, they go down like on impact Mm -hmm. that I think that is, that is the most satisfying sight at the culmination of a hunt. I don't know. You've probably seen a a lot of them. You you get to do a lot of hunting. And is that not just the most satisfying sight? Oh, it is. You're like, boom. You're like, yes. (laughs) I mean, when it's you're, you're cheering at the death of an animal, which uh, I mean, it, Seems kind of like an oxymoron a little bit. Yeah, it does. But, you know, it's there's so much that to be happy about that it was quick, that the animal's not suffering, that your job just got a little easier as far as tracking goes. And it's the, the excitement of, of all the work and all the effort and all the miles and all the sweat and all this, that, and the other thing that took place to get you there and then to see it happen so fast is great. So what happens in that instant is I mentioned that bullets have to expand for them to work reliably, right? So we want a bullet to hit with enough velocity that it expands because when it expands, that's when it transfers energy. So um, just like, you know, if you did any combat sports or, or boxing or anything like that, when you get, you know, you get hit in, in the jaw and uh, you kind of lights go out for a second and uh, that cerebral concussion uh, is what, what kind of, reset you if you will and and can knock you out so in an animal if if you have enough velocity and enough energy transferred into the animal that energy transfer like little shock waves traveling through the fluid can disrupt the central nervous system and the electrical activity there and if you disrupt that central nervous system enough they go unconscious and they fall down right where they stand and that's uh that's that's a beautiful thing but in that instance they're not biologically dead they're unconscious and they will you know by the time they could regain consciousness they'll probably have hit that that window where they're going to be biologically dead um but uh we really like to see that and shot placement has a lot to do with it um again you know i referenced that the bullet has to expand and that's why we really have to look at the velocity window that that bullet is designed to work in because we need it to expand and then shot placement um you know I hate to ruin meat just for the sake of ruining meat, but if you can get into the high shoulder, um, you can put it into a good spot to where the permanent wound cavity is in the vitals. So the permanent wound cavity would be the cavity that the actual bullet travels through that can that it is completely and permanently displaced. So once the bullet has completely gone through the animal, you're left with that 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 hole through the animal that's the permanent cavity so you can put a permanent cavity through the vitals the heart and lung area and the the temporary wound cavity which would be the, those shock waves that i mentioned earlier right that hydraulic force and that hydrostatic shock transferring through the to the tissue that is going to displace tissue uh, although not permanently it's going to displace the tissue and in a lot of cases that tissue has really good elasticity and so it'll move around and eventually it'll hit its yield point where it's no longer elastic and it'll tear off and you create some uh some secondary wounding that way but as that that shock travels through the fluid in there if you can disrupt the central nervous system you can get that that light switch type effect where they fall down where they stand Um, so again that all ties back to you have to have good enough velocity to make the bullet work and that bullet 
has to work. It has to expand and transfer that energy. So I think there was some uh, misunderstandings of, of what we're trying to achieve when and where we shoot an animal. And, uh, you know, that, that is also true, this, the way we're describing how bullets kill an animal. It's also true uh, with, with poor shot placement, like a gut shot animal, which, you know, we, we never like to see because it doesn't disrupt the heart or lungs enough, typically, you know, even though there's some temporary wounding that may happen over there because of shock of an expanding bullet. Right. But even then gut shoot an animal, if you don't get a second shot on that animal, you know, it's, it's going to die. It's just going to take a long time because one, you, there's not a lot of blood loss. So there is still a, a good amount of blood in the animal. It's heart and lungs are still recycling it and reoxygenating it. And it's still getting to the brain. Um, but eventually it will die. And it's going to die from the exact same process. It's going to uh, get into sepsis because it's gut shot. So it's going to start uh, getting into the, the sepsis. And as it does that, it's going to shut down organs and organs are going to fail that are going that, that need oxygenated blood. And if they're not getting it, they're going to shut down. And as they shut down, it's going to be a vicious cycle of one more after the next shutting down and eventually it will shut down the brain as well the brain will not get enough blood uh, there won't be enough circulation it's it's lungs will lose function and uh it's it takes a lot longer so that's why obviously we don't want to gut shoot an animal right. but uh, just know that that in a nutshell things die from lack of oxygenated blood to the brain so so if you can uh, disrupt enough uh organs inside the body that send that oxygen to the brain then you're winning so long as your bullet expands and disrupts that i mean how would you say that yeah i think that's a good summary and like i said i, I wanted to keep it brief not get too in-depth on this because it is it's kind of weird to talk about and especially when you know i personified it by talking about the two different types of death and that makes it weird but uh, <laughs> nonetheless nonetheless we're yeah you nail it we're trying to get disruption of organs that that recycle blood and pump it to the brain right. and uh the faster we can do that the better and you know when you do make a good shot you're it's going to lose a lot of blood so there's actual less blood to reoxygenate anyway um but uh yeah we we need that bullet to expand um and that's that's why a gut shot animal takes so long to die because they right. still have lot of blood they still have a really good mechanism that hasn't been generally affected that recycles it and uh, that's why it takes so long um, blood poisoning is what you know it's i've heard it referred to as when you gut shoot an animal is that it's blood poisoning but that's that's not necessarily a good descriptor of, of what's actually happening gotcha so i hope i didn't make that too uh too, too gross morbid weird graphic <laughs> etc but um but uh yeah that that really is, in a nutshell, what we're trying to do. And we can tie this also to last week's topic or last episode's topic, rather, of bullet failure in that, you know, just because a bullet does X, it, it did something. And if that something doesn't align with maybe what you think the bullet should have done or looked like, you have to ask yourself, did the bullet 
get to a spot? Did I put it in the right spot to work? Obviously, but when it, when I did that, did it cause sufficient damage to very quickly and efficiently shut down the the brain? Did it did did I hit it heart lungs? Was there enough energy transfer? Was the permanent wound cavity good? Was the temporary wound cavity good? Uh, did the bullet tumble? Did it expand, etc.? You know, right. you can you can more specifically address did the the physical appearance of the finished product of the bullet may or you know that may or may not look like you want it to regardless of that did it efficiently and effectively you know cause Dude. lack of oxygenated blood to the brain to kill the animal right okay so so so, so I, as I, you explain that scenario here antelope 100 pound animal 60 yards eldx bullet 65 prc does that bullet expand behind the shoulder shot okay let's talk about shot yeah. placement this is behind the shoulder in the vitals mm-hmm. Mid body, uh, behind the shoulder, but mid body, like uh, elevation wise. Sure. Does that bullet expand, or does it go right through it? That thing should should at sixty yards out of a PRC. What I would expect it to do is to expand very violently, and in I would almost guarantee at sixty yards that the 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 core is going to slip from the jacket because it's going to expand so fast gotcha. that lead's going to be flowing so quickly. I would, I would bet that it does flip the core, but it's going to absolutely destroy so much, so much tissue in the, the hydrostatic shock and the hydraulic shock going on there because the bullet's expanding at high velocity, the, the, the shock wave that's created. And again, it's fluid in there. It's, you know, hydro meaning water it's fluid in there mm-hmm. that the shockwave is going to go through and it's going to create a temporary wound cavity so violently fast that a, the most of that tissue is going to heat hit the point where it can't expand and and flex anymore and it's going to start breaking so as as you, you're as that fluid and, and those organs are are swollen up to absorb the shock uh eventually they're going to tear and there's going to be lacerations it's going to be massive blood loss uh, I have not shot an antelope at 60 yards with the 6.5 PRC, but I bet if you did and you walked up and rolled it and shook it back and forth, it would you would hear sloshing because yeah. it, it's going to liquefy many things. Uh, but again, I would expect in that scenario a jacket core separation because of the the violent nature of the expansion. And uh, jacket core separations are typically deemed bullet failures, but in this scenario, you know that 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 animal would die very quickly. I would expect. A, uh, a a drop right there in their tracks because with that violent expansion you you're going to get so much shock that it disrupts the central nervous system right okay what about same scenario same shot placement different bullet gmx gmx i think you would have very much a a less i'm going to say awe inspiring type of expansion mm-hmm. it's going to expand much slower and slower expansion even though you have the same velocity is going to transfer energy slower. So the bullet's not going to, you're not gonna have as large of a temporary wound cavity. Uh, The hydrostatic and hydraulic shock isn't going to be amplified quite as much. That bullet will likely blow through the other side. Um, And it would probably look really cool when you're done because high velocity impacts with a monolithic bullet. I mean, they fold that bullet down into like a picturesque type mushroom. Mm -hmm. Uh, But again, they don't transfer energy quite as well um, so you would have, I, uh, unless you took a high shoulder shot, I, I don't think you'd get that drop them in their tracks type of 
concussion uh, uh, that you would expect with a lead core bullet because of that slower expansion. But you'd have uh, a better blood trail. Yeah, you would. You you would. I, I I do. I wouldn't expect it to go very far with that with that shot placement. Obviously, these animals. We we talked about this. They're right. They're Animal insane. Super they can, tough. Yeah, they. That is very true. But uh, nonetheless, yeah, I think a, a, a GMX bullet would not. You would not experience the same thing as you would with an ELDX or or even a lead core bullet or an SST or something like that. All right, guys, if you haven't had a chance, go check out Goat Knives. I want to specifically highlight the Tur Carbon Pro. The Tur Carbon Pro is a fixed blade with a titanium handle. The blade is made out of nitro V steel. It's heat treated. It's absolutely bulletproof. It's razor sharp. And it's going to be a knife that you can do some caping with. You can take cape off the skull, use it around the antler to get that hide that's tucked up right underneath the burr of the antler out. It's great for that. Also, if you're an old-fashioned guy and you like to gut things, it's I personally like it better for gutting and whatnot, putting my hand in a body cavity. That way you don't get that blade of, of the Capra Hunter TI peeling off. It's a fixed blade, so you can get in there and you don't have to be as delicate. The Capra Hunter TI is more for a finesse type of type of skinning and quartering where the gur is just to get in there and get messy. So be sure to check out the Tur Carbon Pro at goatknives.com. So, let, so let's talk about the best shot on an elk. Let's yeah. talk high shoulder versus behind the shoulder. Sure. We yeah, the, first let's press this by saying, and we've talked about this on I think it was part one, but elks just will to live. Yeah, you, it it seems to be unmatched. Unmatched. Yeah, that's that's insane. And I mentioned it earlier with shot placement that that I hate to to ruin meat. I, I get that. Um, for me, when I have the chance to shoot an animal, in most cases, there are some some instances where I don't. But I, I guess we'll paint a picture just for me personally. Um, and I'll paint it both ways here. So uh, on one side, I live in, in the middle of Nebraska. So although my passion in life is hunting mule deer out west, and western Nebraska's got great mule deer opportunities, in central Nebraska, right on the river, and I live out in the country, you know, in a, in a river valley, there's white-tailed deer everywhere. And one of my uh, buddies farms, and on his section, he's counted over 100 white-tailed deer. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of deer. So he has an obligation to, to thin that herd every year. So in that scenario, uh, I can get $12 antlerless tags late season, January, Nebraska. I can kill oh, wow. two deer. It comes with a bonus tag. So they're giving these tags away. So I'm going to take two does. And for the most part, I'm going to turn everything except the back straps into grind. And I'm going to live off that for, for six months. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to take a behind the shoulder shot. I'm going to try to, to, to limit meat loss. He owns the whole section. These deers aren't going anywhere on the opposite side of that. I know you mentioned elk, so we can change the story now to elk, uh, but it's really for anything where I hunt out West and I hunt public land. Generally, I, I want that animal to, to die where I shoot it for me on, on public land, on big game. I am going to take a high shoulder shot. I, I really, I, I like that for a couple reasons. One, the negative is I'm, I'm likely going to lose some meat and that's frustrating. But to me, the juice is worth the squeeze because I'm going to hit a shoulder blade, which is going to force bullet upset. So if it's, a, and if it's an extended shot, you know, and most of the time I'm hunting out West, it's going to be two, three, four, 500 yards in, in a lot of cases. So I'm going to hit a shoulder. I know that bullet's going to expand because it's hitting something a little harder than soft tissue. 
Two, uh, because the bullet's going to expand, it's going to transfer energy, which is the most effective way to kill an animal with an expanding bullet in the vitals. So I'm getting a permanent wound cavity, like I mentioned before, in the vitals. I'm getting a temporary wound cavity that is very likely going to disrupt the central nervous system. And that's when you get that turn off like a light switch type effect. And uh, that for me is win-win. If I don't have to track them, if I don't have to worry about them jumping back onto private land, um, and, and the cost of that is losing a little bit of meat, I, I generally, I, I take that as a, as, a, uh, as, a, as a win, and that's usually the shot I go for. I, and opinions are going to vary. I get it. I just, that's, that's where I live. So what's your opinion? Right. Are you asking my opinion? Yeah. What do you, where do you like on, on an elk? Like you mentioned, you going behind the shoulder, you going high shoulder. Depends if I have a six, five PRC or a seven mag or a 300 wind mag or a 300 PRC. Yeah. I, I, and, and the distance. Sure. Um, I guess I could have prefaced my answer with, there's a lot of variables. That yeah. There's just so many vari- variables. And if anyone is listening, thinking, man, I, I'm going to get this caliber so that I can drop something in its tracks. I mean, the other thing too, is if you're aiming for that high shoulder, and you have a little bit further shot. If you miss, if the animal is, his back end is facing to your right. Your, mm-hmm. So scenario here, you're in the prone position. The animal is facing you broadside. The rump is towards your right. And you're aiming for that high shoulder. You want to split him into thirds, right? So you're going to sure. aim that lower third of his shoulder uh, you're in the field. Generally, if you don't have a good rest, you're going to be shooting a little bit high. If you don't have a good rear support, a general rule is yep. that you're going to shoot a little bit high. So you want to split that lower third of his shoulder. And then also, if you're aiming for his shoulder, if you miss to the left, you're going to miss the animal completely. If you miss a little bit to the right, you're still going to be good. You know, so on the flip side of that, yep. it's like, okay, it's a little bit further shot. Maybe I don't want to shoot for his shoulder knowing that if I miss to the right, I'm still going to hit the animal. So I, th- I think it depends on your distance, shot placement, just the scenario, the caliber yep. to win. But I mean, if, if I if I have a three a seven a three hundred or a thirty caliber uh, type round, I'm going high shoulder every time. You know, six hundred yards and in. Yep. If it's uh, six hundred yards and out, uh, and whatever caliber, I'm going probably behind the shoulder. Sure, they're I like big the- animals. They're, they are big. Yeah, that's, that's true. One of the other things, this is not directly related, but you brought it up and, and I guess, uh, just to get my opinion out there, which is worth not much, but uh, nonetheless, in those scenarios, that, that one you just mentioned, uh, what I really strive to do, if it's any type of extended shot and there's any wind, I'd like, I, like you said, with the, with the rump to the, to the right of you, I try to dope the wind so that I have I'm going to hit him behind the shoulder or on the shoulder, or I'm going to miss completely. You know, I, I, like I said, I usually try to dope the wind aggressively enough that it's a miss or it's still in the vitals. And uh, that, that only compounds things because, yeah, the, the wind is another is so fickle. And, uh, yeah, shot distance becomes even more of a concern. But, but yeah, I like you said, with you, if you've got s- sufficient caliber, it's nice to go for the high shoulder because of the insurance that you get, especially on an elk. Like you said, those things are, those things are huge. Right. So, I mean, it's always rewarding when you drop an elk and its tracks, but usually that's <laughs> because you have a, a, a big caliber or B you spined him. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and they're so ruggedly built. It takes so much more energy to, to disrupt the central nervous system. Um, right. there, there, there's obviously compared to a deer, there's a lot more material in between, you know, the animal shoulder blades going on. Uh, so it takes more energy transfer and to get more energy, you have to have a heavier bullet going faster. Right. So like you said, 300 PRC, uh, big sevens, stuff like that. They, they do a lot better job than a, than a six, five on that big animal in, in transferring energy. They might do the same type of bullet expansion, but they just don't six fives just don't have the energy that the, that the bigger calibers do if they're going as fast. That is right. Right. So, I mean, I've shot elk with six, five PRCs. Aaron has shot elk with six, five PRCs. Um, you know, there's, there's this one video that we have on YouTube that's pretty popular. I shot a big seven by seven on public land and, uh, Dang. yeah, giant bull for, especially for public land. And I shot him four times at 300 yards behind the shoulder with my six, five PRC 147 match bullets. Um, there was a lot of people hating because that bullet soaked up or that bull. Sorry. There was a lot of hating because that bull soaked up all those bullets and sure. eventually tipped over. But from the first shot to the last shot, he didn't take a step. But me, from being an experienced hunter, I know to shoot those suckers until they drop. Yeah, that's that's the general consensus. Yep, he's standing. Ge- yeah, he's standing. You, you, you keep shooting. So mm-hmm. on the flip side of that, guys are saying, you know, that's why you that's why you shoot a bigger caliber. So let's let's talk through that yeah. a little bit. Three hundred yards, sure. six five well, PRC on an elk. Now, let me preface this by saying, also saying that the first bullet and the last bullet were touching when I skinned the bull. And one bullet was mid-ribs, and then one, one bullet I shot back. The, I let the excitement get to me. I was on a very yep. steep side hill. It was muddy. I was slipping. And I got a look side and, and shot one a little bit far back. Yeah, that's – but to put, to put, you know, three bullets – in in the same vital area those animals like we said they're just really tough and before i get into answering the question uh, or at least with my opinion of the question you shot them four times with the 6.5 prc a lot would argue you know maybe a, a different bullet choice would have been beneficial but at the end of the day there are a lot of people in that exact same scenario that shoot that same elk the same number of times with a 300 wind max. That's what I, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like, thank I've, you. The whiz kid. Sides I, uh, with me. That's what I responded in some of these comments with. I mean, I, I told some of these people like, Hey guys, how many elk have you shot? They can take a 300 wind mag that many times. Yeah. And by uh, my buddy, um, you probably know Micah here on our marketing team. Yeah. Shot his Colorado elk last year with 300 PRC. And I don't, it wasn't a horribly long shot, 300 yards, maybe 250 yards, something like that. Maybe it's only 200 and some change. Uh, shot him three times because he's just standing there soaking bullets up. Yep. And uh, that's a big gun with a big bullet. And, uh, yeah, the reality is sometimes a bigger caliber is just uh, a pacifier. You know, it makes you feel better uh, because it's a bigger caliber. Um, right. and there's not necessarily any merit to it. But uh, at the end of the day, I, it's placement. It's yeah, I, I think yeah, in the in the first uh, episode of the of this little series, yeah, the thing that is number one always beats whatever's number two. And in this scenario, number one is shot placement. Yep. In hunting, anyways, is, is shot placement. But I uh I think the six five, not necessarily the PRC, but just the six five in general, certainly capable of taking elk because many, many people do it 
every year. Um, I think going to a larger diameter bullet at an equal to or greater speed is beneficial because of like we talked about buying you some error budget uh, in that, you know, you're going to get an expanding bullet. So that's the kind of the, the kind of check in the box, the bullet needs to expand. And then it needs to transfer the energy that it does have by expanding. So if you give it a bigger diameter at a higher speed, uh, not necessarily bigger diameter per se, but heavier in weight, and you're going to gain that by going to a larger caliber, you're getting more energy. The bullet's still expanding, so it's still transferring the energy. And that, that to me, buys you some more error budget where uh, you can put it in the shoulder or behind the shoulder and and get a large temporary wound cavity you can displace a lot of fluid um, you still got a, a a good and now a larger permanent wound cavity but the reason i like going to a larger bullet with an equal to or greater speed is it's going to increase its hydrostatic shock um, and i think that's there's benefit to that um, as far as again we hate to make marginal shots but sometimes you know you're an archer so you've seen this you've probably done it i'm you know i don't know anybody that's archery hunted for for a long time that hasn't there's an area we call no man's land where you can put an arrow that looks like you just sent one through the pump house but there's a little gap i don't know how big it is maybe five by five if it's a square or maybe it's a rectangle but you can zip an arrow through there make it look like a perfect shot and that animal's going to run away and there's no vital organs touched at all. So with a bullet, you know, if you put a bullet in no man's land, you can still disrupt enough of the heart lung tissue and even the central nervous system that you can get a really good effective kill, even though there's nothing you could have done better to put that bullet in a good spot. There's just that little window where it can slip through and, and not actually hit anything. Oh, yeah. So yeah, more energy and, and again, the bullets expanding. So a bigger bullet, heavier bullet with equal to or greater velocity kind of helps add to that error budget yeah absolutely but the 6.5 prc specifically it's certainly it's a capable elk cartridge and, and there were many elk taken before we released it obviously since it's been publicly released or commercially available there's a lot of elk that die every year to the hand of a prc yeah so let's, I, let's talk about pre 7 mag pre 300 mag pre yeah 6.5 prc w- what did our fathers and grandfathers shoot elk with with 30 out six and 270 and a 270. Yeah. yeah. And Just some 243s. O'Connor. I've got a coworker whose dad still hunts elk with 243s, but they pound the dark timber and he shoots them in the neck. Been yep. doing it since the 60s. Yep. So uh, he might, may not be shooting elk at 800 yards with a 243, but he's shooting elk with no. a 243. Usually it's 80 yards. Yeah. Usually it's 80 yards. So yeah. uh, before we cast stones at one another, um, we should probably. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not an advocate of uh, casting stones. I mean, there's there's a uh, there's a lot of different types of scenarios where a certain bullet and caliber and hunting scenario is just perfect. You know. Yep. And those are all just a little bit different. So before we tell somebody, you know, you're doing it wrong, maybe we don't fully understand. I had a I had a college professor that said, seek first to understand, and then to be understood. And, and that's something that's always kind of stood, stood with me. Yeah, sounds like something my old man would say. That's, yeah, words to live by. Yeah. So, I mean, teach his own. I mean, a 6.5 PRC is perfectly capable. How, how far would you be comfortable shooting a big bull with a 6.5 PRC? Mm. In a good wind. 
Yeah. Okay. So if I was in a good prone position, good rest. In a no, in a so here, here's my caveat on when to. I uh, I live in Nebraska and I learned to shoot. Well, I'll say I started shooting long range in Nebraska. I learned to shoot it in other places, but I I started shooting long range in Nebraska. So there's always wind. There may be scenarios where I have a no wind call, like no wind hold, uh-huh. but there's always some sort of wind. So right. uh, if I'm in a no wind uh, hold solution uh, situation in a good prone position with the six five uh, PRC, I'd probably you know be shooting the one forty three ELDX. Honestly, because of the size of the target, I would feel comfortable between five and 600 yards. Personally, I probably wouldn't go a whole lot further than that. Um, yeah. Just not, because not of an elk. Yeah, just because it, on a deer, obviously, you know, that changes the game significantly. But, um, you know, for the most part in, in my hunting experiences, I can, I can kill a lot of animals between zero and five, certainly zero to six, as far as me getting to a position in that. Now, the more often you're in the field and the, and the, and the more tags you have, the more times you're going to find yourself where there is no hill closer than the one I'm on. And in that situation, obviously the situation will dictate, but for me, I think, uh, yeah, maybe five, 600 yards with the six, five PRC and, and a good bullet in a perfect shooting situation. Right. I, I mean, 600 yards with like, say a loophole Mark five HD, five to 25 by 56. I mean, that seems like it's 300 yards in the scope for me. Yeah. You you can zoom in on there, especially on an elk. Yeah. I mean, it's the optics now are just so good. Uh, bullets are so good now. Ballistic calculators. Ballistic calculators are phenomenal. So for guys that don't understand long range shooting, uh, again, seek first to understand, and then to be understood. If you, if you do a little bit of research, you'll see just how accurate these ballistic calculators are. Yeah, there's there's no reason to miss your target due to uh, elevation anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you you take some of that information, but you have to apply the learnings and you have to train. I mean, you can't just be like, okay, my bullet's going to do it, my caliber's going to do it, my scope will get me there. Uh, I just can't assume that I can make a six, seven, eight hundred yard shot now. Regardless of the caliber and regardless yeah. of the, the object, you've got to train. Uh, you have to. Yeah. You have to train. You you better enlist in some long-range course. You better find a mentor. You better have someone take you out to shoot with you and teach you because you're not just probably going to lay down and do it. There's things, variables from rear support, cant, uh, temperature, weather, barometric pressure, elevation, yeah. elevation, altitude, all these things that uh, – come into this that you know yeah, yeah you'll have the list of calculator but you've got to have some of that other information you do and and just the basic application of the fundamentals of marksmanship uh just the the, the very basics the breathing the trigger mani- manipulation and a big one that i see in a lot of hunting situations and people that i've hunted with is follow through um where I, I don't see a lot of hunters uh do you mean like saying in your with, scope yeah so keeping you know basically the to go back to the to the 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 textbook definition the the application of the fundamentals of marksmanship until the rifle and shooter have recovered from recoil so to you you know you you execute the shot you keep your cheek on the rifle you keep your eye through the scope uh you you you're 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 still in that natural respiratory pause pause when you're breathing uh and then that helps you when you come out of recoil relocate the animal and then in a lot of cases if you're set up properly you'll 
you'll come out of that recoil, especially if you're hunting with a break or a suppressor, you'll be able to see that bullet. If it's a long enough shot, hit the animal. Otherwise you'll be able to see the animal's reaction. You'll spot where you hit or if you missed or what happened. Um, so I, that's, that's huge, especially because once you send that first shot, the wheels are in motion now that presumably you hit that animal and you have an obligation to make sure you kill it very, very quickly. So right. getting that second shot or third or fourth or whatever it takes, you know, you, you really need to make quick follow-up shots that are effective, not just quick, but effective. Like you said, where you put, you had two of them that were physically touching each other. Um, right. So you need to follow through so that you can get an effective and quick follow-up shot. That's, that's hugely important. Right. And I agree. And as soon as you pull the trigger that first time, you have what I like to call the frazzle effect. Yeah. I mean, you're going to be frazzled, especially if you get kicked out of the scope, recoil kicks you out of scope, and you don't have a spotter or a buddy helping you see what happened. You didn't see the reaction of the animal. Maybe he went down. Maybe he disappeared. Maybe you scoped yourself in the eye and the animal's not there anymore. Did you hit him? Did he run off? uh, Yep. You know what I mean? So... It's like you, you better try your best to make sure that first shot's the best because adrenaline kicks in and uh, you got the frazz you could get frazzled after that you could spaz yep. you could that's a it's a yeah and then I, I mentioned uh, in the last episode you get certain things happen from a chemical standpoint and and you you don't hear things like you normally do you don't see things you get tunnel vision auditory exclusion and then yeah you're just frazzled in general actually on a personal note since I've started hunting suppressed. I feel very, and maybe I'm just getting older, more mature or whatever, but I feel a lot less of that, that quote unquote frazzle, like you mentioned mm-hmm. when I introduced the suppressor. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, that you get was, asked that all was, the time why you hunt suppressed. Why do you carry that stupid thing around? Cause I shoot lights out with it. It weighs one pound. And, uh, I, one of my buddies at a, uh, optics company, they did a podcast. And so I'm going to, kind of paraphrase how he mentioned it if if we lined up and i said all right i'm going to push you as hard as i can and you stood there and i took a step back and i laid into you into the chest as hard as i could and you can you know, kind of step back whatever and then there was no sound i just pushed you and then the second time i did it there was an explosion that happened right by your face <laughs> the 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 you know and it, okay which instance was worse well the recoil quote unquote or of me pushing you was exactly the same Right. You introduce a very loud, uh, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, if you don't have hearing protection in, that's a catastrophic hearing event. That that's that could potentially be permanent hearing damage each time you pull the trigger without hearing protection in. And uh, it, it, it does frazzle you. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, it, there's there's uh, yeah, there's a lot of science to that and, and that the noise, you know, a lot of people you'll find are not necessarily shy of recoil of a firearm we're shooting a big magnum that a lot of the times it's more the in their boom. mind indirectly associated with the noise so right. yeah i think cutting out just hunting suppressed for me it's a seven inch long weighs less than one pound i'm taking it every time absolutely 100 percent. and you know what i shoot even better at the range when i have a suppressor on with earmuffs absolutely because then i then i don't even hear it almost i'm just focused on that target the trigger squeeze and getting that same amount of pressure in my hand on the pistol grip of my rifle. And yep. You can focus on the fundamentals for sure. Yep. Focus on the fundamentals. So, 
Um, how do we get off on that tangent? You know, I'm not sure, but it, I think it's a, it's a, it's a worthy one. I, I cannot explain to people. I get questions a lot on, yeah. Why do you carry that thing around? You just put on 11 miles today. Did you really need that suppressor? You didn't even shoulder your weapon. It's like, yeah, I did. Cause at the time I want to shoot it, it, it makes follow-up shots better. Oh man. And the, I think we Keeps got on the animal. Because, yeah. Well, I said, the reason we got on that was, I, I think I said the frazzle effect just on a personal note, I have less of that when I hunt suppressed because it's quieter. I, think, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but More confident, quieter. You can, you can stay on the animal better. Yeah. It's, and it's better for everybody else in the woods. Honestly, I, I hunt uh, public land uh, primarily and there are other people in the woods and I do my very best to not hinder their experience. And uh, I, you know, hopefully they're doing the same and, I think it's a benefit to them, to everybody else out there when, you know, I've, I've taken shots suppressed and had people two ridges over, you know, not even know I hit anything or not even know I shot until I'm packing an animal out and I, they happen to see me. Um, and that, I think that's a benefit to everybody and it doesn't startle the animals. I, I think you've probably seen that as well. So not to be deeper down the rabbit hole of the suppressor while hunting, but I'm a big fan. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm going to continually highlight this product because it's one of my favorite products. It's Traverse Bino Harness 2.0. Protect your investment in your binoculars with a 100% concealable pouch that holds your binoculars. Extremely comfortable. Harness itself. It doesn't have any rubbing on your neck. It fits well with a backpack. It's true one-handed operation. It's super quiet, so it's great for bow hunter. It also works well for a rifle hunter. Easy on, easy off. You don't even hardly notice it's on you, and that's what you want out of a binocular harness. Also, we have accessory pouches that go with it where you can put your calls, you can put your ammo inside of there, and quick access and tethers inside of the binocular harness itself and also the accessory pouches. So definitely, definitely, definitely check out the Traverse Bino Harness 2.0. We appreciate your support. I mean, let's go back to that frazzle effect. Uh, kind of jumping away from suppress and back to the frazzle effect, back to that Mexican hunt that we prefaced a couple times in this three-part series. Um, that first shot, I thought, because I saw the bullet drop under his belly, I thought I shot low. And Is you'll this on the, uh, the Mexican hunt? Yeah, yep. And you'll hear the guide say, no, you're high, you're high. And, um, I mean, I, you talked about that tunnel vision. I had that tunnel vision. I thought for sure I was low. And he's like, no, you're high. So if I wouldn't have had that because of those chemicals that released in my brain and my tunnel vision, it was nice having someone that didn't have that adrenaline and stress yep. so they could help guide me on that second shot. And, and to me, I had a buddy make fun of me the other day. He was like, well, you missed first. I'm like, yeah, I did. But that hardest, the second shot was m probably two times harder than the first because A, I had the frazzle effect. B, I had the stress. And C, I thought I just screwed up on one of the biggest bucks of my life and that the sucker was going to run off. Yeah. And that I just screwed up the only the opportunity I've been waiting five or six hours for in the Mexican jungle. <laughs> right. You know and what I'm saying? That, I'm that like, booyah. I made a better shot the second time. Yeah. Much harder and that shot. was suppressed? No, this actually wasn't. I was going to say didn't, that. I didn't want to worry in, about taking a suppressor to Mexico. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. What, what, what's international travel like with a suppressor to, yeah. to that country? I always, leave that, I always leave that home on purpose. Yep, yep. But yeah, that's nice to, and, and what could have made that situation even better had it been suppressed is now you've got that communication open with a spotter 
that, you know, even if you have hearing protection in and a big muzzle blast, it, it, everything kind of has that wom wom type of sound. So you're trying to communicate with somebody who, who saw what happened. And yeah, it, I think suppressors make a world of difference. Right. But so, yeah, you're right. The frazzle effect, if you can kind of control it and, and focus on the fundamentals, let what happened happened and then make a better second shot. That, that That's great. Yeah. So, and then, and then back to suppress and non-suppressed in Kyrgyzstan this year, hunting Siberian Ibex in the, uh, uh, in that mountain range. Now I'm drawing a blank. What's that mountain range? Anyway, um, I, I shot and my ears never been the same. I had a muzzle yeah. break on it. And it still rings. That's the first time that I feel like I've done. And now I'm like, I'm scared that I did permanent damage to my ear. Yeah. Yep. And you, you probably did. And, and it, you know, honestly, that, that happens not just from firearms, but there's a lot of things that cause that. And, and from a guy who has permanent hearing damage, it's annoying. Yeah. Uh, and I, I very much, uh, I wish that suppressors were easier, well, faster to obtain because uh, there's there's really no excuse not to have them on everything, it seems yeah. like. Yep. Uh, I drew a blank there, so I had to Google it real quick. But Taishong Mountain Range okay. there in Kyrgyzstan. But that's where I uh, my ear rang for months and months and months. And still, I feel just a little bit of a slight weird feeling in my left ear right now as we're talking. So um, it's definitely annoying. Yeah, bad news all the way around. And they say that not having uh, good hearing as you get older can lead to dementia. I don't know if you ever heard that one or not great <laughs> no yeah. i have not but but I, I i would i would venture to say that we're going to have better hearing in our later years than our fathers and grandfathers did because they didn't do anything to protect their ears so a hundred percent and they live yeah, pretty long how, lives yeah they, they lived all right my yeah i have one of my grandpas was a world war ii vet and he lived until he was i believe 78 or 77 it's a and, pretty uh, long life that's yeah, a long great life he was a he killed a lot of deer with a 303 Brit and open sights. Yeah, really. Yep. Yeah, my uh, grandpa killed hundreds of deer with the 3030 open yeah. sights. So Good it's like, guy. man, we're picking peppers out of fly poop. I feel like sometimes uh, pepper out of fly poop. Sometimes when we sit here and criticize these calibers and these game. I mean, at the end yeah. of the day, our our fathers and grandfathers did it, and sometimes yep. they did it better than us with less. I think so, and I think to kind of bring this thing full circle from, from our first and second in uh, segments into into this final one, kind of the summary. Uh, And, and just like you said, how our fathers and grandfathers did it with, you know, less equipment and and they were still effective and and what have you. And I think what we have now in summary is we're in a time where there's so much information, there's so many options, there's so many tools uh, that just, if, if the listener takes one thing away from from these three segments, uh, aside from just, you know, the bullet construction and how that works and et cetera, is that go ahead and, and, and do research, get training, get educated. And, and there are so many options for you to learn what works, learn how now you kind of know how bullets work and how animals die. Find the bullet that works for you for the way you like to hunt and then and get a rifle system set up for you for the way that you want to hunt. That's going to check all those boxes for you, get an all inclusive package so you don't have to to to, you know, 
rely on shooting animals in the neck with a 243 or or what have you you can there's so much information there's no excuse not to be educated and when you're educated you can make the very conscious deliberate decisions that put you in the right place to be successful and and then to come full circle with it you're in the right place to put the bullet where the bullet can work and uh it's all it's all just one big system so i think that's a good takeaway and a good summary is you know how bullets work now do some do some research get educated on which bullet design and and features work for you get a system that works for you and you'll be set up for success yeah absolutely and i, and I second that and yeah the eldx boasts high bcs high velocities ultra accurate they have that heat shield tip um they do pretty great at close and obviously far um they create that wound channel a lot of hydrostatic shock, as Seth, aka the Whiz Kid, has mentioned several times throughout this three-part series. I don't know if that's a a, a good uh, descriptive choice because sometimes I feel like I'm uh, fumbling around <laughs> in my job because there's so much to learn and know, oh, and man. I you know, try to tread water as fast as you can. I I, I consider myself above average. Um, at least I, I would hope that I'm a. <laughs> Maybe, that, maybe that's wishful thinking, but above average in terms of understanding this bold stuff. But I definitely learned quite a bit just from having you on this three-part series podcast. Good. So I can't imagine what um, some of these listeners are going to take away from this because I feel like it was super, super valuable. Um, you got anything you want to say about the X before we kind of wrap this up? I think uh, nothing that hasn't been said. I mean, it's it's really an all-inclusive choice. There are other bullets that do things specifically a little bit better than the ELDX, but they don't. There's no other bullet that does everything as good as the ELDX. And the ELDX really is an all-range, great drag characteristics, great terminal performance. They're easy to get to shoot at the factory when we when we manufacture the bullets. The ELDXs are held to the exact same accuracy standard as we hold our match bullets to. Um, so these things are, are, they shoot well, they're easy to get to tune. Um, they, they perform all inclusively better than any other bullet out there. So, uh, it's definitely got a home in a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of guns out there and, and it should strongly be considered for anybody like I've referred to in the past as modern riflemen that are, are, are capable of hunting from zero to five, 600 yards, et cetera. Awesome. All right, man. Well, anything else you kind of want to touch on? I think, feel like this was a very educational series. Um, talk about cup and core design versus monolith, monolithic design, the interlock ring, the cantilever, polymer tips, jacket thickness, hunting versus match bullet design. Uh, then we part two, we talked impact velocity, shot placement, bullet failure, what constitutes bullet failure. And then in this series, in this part today, part three, what kills an animal in the closing summary of being clinically dead, brain dead, uh, choosing a bullet, uh, and then kind of talked about the X a little bit and why we choose the X. Yeah, I, that's 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 pretty. The only thing I would have to add is not necessarily related to anything we've talked about, but one thing I like to to get to everybody who is interested in bullets and shooting and whatever, Hornady employs a tech staff, and what they're there for is to answer questions, and it, it sometimes it's 
you know, not related to the price of rice in China. And it's, it, it, you know, people call in with just random things. But if you've got a question about bullet performance, cartridge performance, cartridge d- uh, designs that, that we've done here, uh, ballistics, anything that's related to a Hornady product, uh, or even loose related to, to long range shooting or, or certain shooting applications in general, we have a staff that isn't just voices on a phone. These men up there, they hunt, they shoot, most of them shoot competitively. They are, that are doing out of state hunts. I mean, these guys are very knowledgeable. And, and so if you do have questions on something you heard about here on the podcast and you want to dig into it a little bit better, 800-338-3220, that tech staff is a wealth of knowledge up there. Yeah. Awesome. No, th- thanks for that, Seth. And, you know, yeah. if, if I said anything wrong or out of context or got some of my information twisted here, as I'm, I'm sure I did, maybe said some things backwards, um, I apologize. Write us in if you found one of the mistakes that I made on this podcast. Or, you know, feel free to call in to that number and uh, get some information straightened out. But we'd like to thank everyone for listening to part three. If you haven't listened to part one, again, listen to part one. Bullet construction design, part two, impact velocity and shot placement, bullet failure. And then this part, what what kills an animal in our closing summary on this three-part series. So, guys, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share the podcast. Tell your friends about it. And uh, thanks for joining us, Seth. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. All right, man. Talk to you later.